Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Formula One Jackass podcast. Um, we have just finished the race in the Netherlands, and we're excited for you to join us on our podcast. With me, as always, is my good night. Christopher here, and uh, yeah, we had our last episode just after. I think yeah, it was uh, we finished that not not long ago, but uh, we wanted to be fresh after the Dutch Grand Prix. You know, uh, it's the first in a long while we've had that. So uh, yeah. I think Ryan has a lot to talk about being Dutch and all, so let's just jump into it. Well, we spoke about the significance of, of this race, um, returning to the calendar. It's it's actually, when you think about it, it's Liberty Media's first new race that they, they could add to the calendar. And no one knew what to expect from it. You know, not the audience, not the population of the Netherlands, not the sporting community. It was all an unknown. Yes, we've been there before, but it was a completely different world, quite figuratively and literally, uh, in every sense of the world. So it was a huge unknown. Uh, and even for the drivers, they've driven there in Formula 3. It was one of the biggest Formula 3 races, but no one has ever truly raced a Formula 1 car around Zandvoort since 1985. So no one knew what to expect. And then, you know, now that the race is done and everything has sunk in and digested... I think we can call that a massive success uh, for for everything, you know. Absolutely. For you know the sport, the Formula One, for the championship, for the country, for the the Formula One community in in the Netherlands, uh, as well as you know commercial uh, interest in it as well. So I I think it was good to see so many fans back at a at a track. You know, you can have your your thoughts whether that. Uh, was was good or not having so many people in in this day and age uh at a, at a racetrack whereas other things such as music festivals and such are still not allowed to go ahead in the netherlands but you know the 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 positive things that we can take away from is that if we just look at the formula one aspect of it all a fantastic race to have in the calendar you know it was uh you had everything sort of like a spectacle not necessarily in terms of safety cars and craziness but we see some things in this race that we hadn't seen in a very very long time and when drivers described the track they said it was old school this is also sort of a classic formula one race of 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 days of old and uh it felt like that as well as you said as a dutchman uh as a dutchman i i felt yeah the whole weekend was bizarre seeing the scenes on on television uh i couldn't be there this year nor would i feel comfortable attending um a race but you know there's always next year but just seeing it play out on tv yeah it was it was bizarre uh, and it still hasn't really completely sunk in um so yeah we'll, we'll wait and see what happens yeah no as you said it was bizarre but for the good reasons because I, ha- I mean, we haven't raced in the Netherlands since I've been alive anyway. So, you know, it's not something I've experienced. But then from the first Friday practice on the track, it felt like, oh, we're back here. You know, even though I haven't really seen racing from here and the atmosphere was so electric, it seems like it's already like one of those staple races in F1, you know, like the only race I can kind of compare it to would be when Mexico got back on the calendar because all the fans as well, there was like, you know, big celebration. And I was surprised by that because I didn't expect that because we're used to going to countries that might not have a big F1 interest and we just see the fans, they're excited, sure, but they're not maybe crazy passionate. And we saw that in Mexico. And now here with the Netherlands, it was just even more crazy. Like it was a sea of orange. Everything was orange. 
uh, even the the scenery around Sandford, it was so Dutch. Um, yeah, it feels like we should have come here way earlier. It it should have been part of the, the F1 calendar, not just because we have a Dutch driver and not just because of the track, but I think like the Netherlands is a big enough country and they have such passion and we could see that. So yeah, absolutely amazing pictures to see. I would say about about the crowds though, um, there was a true atmosphere around the entire weekend. You know, it doesn't yeah. matter. It didn't matter if it was FB three or FB two. Um, it was packed and people were jumping up and down. Um, and mainly, it didn't matter if it was just a, a a practice lap or every single time Max Verstappen drove around, the crowd yeah, went wild. Completely. But also in the positive sense, you know, we've spoken about. Uh, sporting aspects and booing that is part of the sport and this weekend i would say crowd was fantastic Mm -hmm. um there was a little bit uh during hamilton's uh, post-qualifying interview but that was immediately drowned out by applause and cheering for hamilton as well yeah and to the point that even uh the king of the netherlands commented how you know fantastic it was for the country and he wanted to also send his congratulations to the Dutch fans supporting Lewis Hamilton. Nice. You know, so it was, it was really underlined uh, about um, yeah the, the the great sporting spectacle that was held uh, uh, for the first time since 1985. Yeah. So good on good on the Dutchies. Um, I was thing, entertained. Just one thing about the booing, if I if I just may, because yeah. it was interesting. You could hear the crowd about to get upset just because Hamilton was standing in front of the microphone and was about to say something. And the first thing he starts saying is how amazing the atmosphere is, the track, how he loves it here and good job for Verstappen. And immediately the booing just like before it could even get off the ground, it just stopped and became applause. And then we didn't hear anything after that. So I think it was really smart of Lewis to just straight up go in and, you know, praise the track and fans as he always does. But now you really see how it actually affects the fans you know and after that i think you know there was maybe a couple of bad people that were trying to get people to boo but then it just died out so yeah absolutely amazing as it should be i mean yeah. it's uh you know a running gag is uh um especially in the the mclaren days and and the beginning uh mercedes days um lewis hamilton in his post race interview always commented that you know these are the best, best fans, fans in yeah. whichever country he was but uh, it was also a bit of like PR play by Lewis Hamilton of on course. his track walk, you know, dressed in complete orange. Um, but uh, he realized the importance, of course, to to keep the crowd on your side. You know, the the number one Formula One is a fan sport. Without the fans, there'll be nothing. There'll be no viewers. There'll be no spectators. There'll be no money if it wasn't for the fans. So Lewis Hamilton has always been open and upfront. The fact that he always loves going to Amsterdam. Uh, not for the particular reasons, you know. Um, sponsor-wise, Tommy Hilfinger, of which is a personal sponsor of him, is uh, based there, and he just likes going around the canals. You know, you see a lot of uh, restaurants featured on his Instagram account, um, so he generally likes likes the place. So um, that's that showed through as well. I think it was, you know, there was a bit of PR play, but there was genuine um, there was genuine comments and feelings as well from him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it makes sense for the Netherlands to, to be part of the Canada. Like if you said Lewis was out taking pictures of restaurants, you know, things like that. Like it's so accessible. It's it's close to major population areas in, across Europe, you know, and it's a holiday vacation uh, place in the Netherlands as well with a racetrack. I think, yeah. Um, I would say I would say for the organization, 
parts of it, I was very impressed because I Absolutely. thought it would be a catastrophe. Yeah. And um, having been there, the train station, uh, going there, it's it's not a hassle, but the train station itself is quite small. So the f- And there's only two platforms, I believe. So the frequency of trains arriving and departing can be quite limited. And in fact, um, in the years leading up to last year when the race was supposed to debut on the, uh, the calendar, um, there was actually a test on the electrical grid to see if they could supply enough power to the train lines to increase the frequency of the trains going, which they had to make infrastructure yep. uh, accommodations to it as well. But now that the race is done, I can say I'm very, very impressed. No one was complaining really about the traffic. Everyone, so all of the media commented, of course, riding bicycles is just a way of life in the Netherlands. Uh, it is the easiest form of transport. But the fact that there were no congestions, both in terms of car or train traffic, um, is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's one of those um, objections you heard about when Sandford was going to be in the calendar was, first of all, that the infrastructure was not there. They can't take uh, the large amount of crowds. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Sandford track um, YouTube channel, which I subscribe to, was sending was showing like how to navigate from the station to the track. And I was watching them because I was so curious to see what they've done. And it seemed really well implemented with the different gates, cycling routes, buses, uh, shuttles and train lines, etc. And I think it was it was at limit in capacity wise. You could see that mm-hmm. on the pictures, but it just goes to show that if you plan ahead and really put these little things in, in place like you could you could absolutely get get away with it even though it's it might not be the most accessible track when lots of people go there at once but yeah it seemed great they probably some weights in front of the gates etc um, but lots of bicycles and again that's another part of Dutch culture that I think is great to to see the rest of the world can also see and learn from you know so yeah all in all very impressed by how it all uh, how, how it all went anyway. So yeah, we've spoken about the track itself. We've spoken about the modification. Um, this was before um, the the racing started. Rather, uh, we always look forward to the qualifying session and such. But let's just start at uh, the, the free practice sessions. And a lot of red flags. And um, these drivers testing the limits, you know, completely new track. And what we saw and what I loved seeing this weekend as well is just the two turn uh two through turn three the different lines that they're practicing because no one knew what the ideal line was yet so you saw so many things and and uh carlos signs spinning off um there as well uh and uh, a lot of red flags both uh um, power unit related for for um sebastian vettel and his aston martin and lewis hamilton and mercedes uh, so a lot of, of practice session missed, actually, because the red flags came out in each of the practice sessions. Yep. So this year, we only have 60 minutes, which which I enjoyed as well. But do you think that when the red flag comes out in practice, it should be like qualifying that the timer is stopped so that, you know, once the red flag period is over, should time allow, they they would finish the remainder of it. So. Um, I don't think so. I, I think it, it works the way it is. It's unfortunate if there's a red flag, but it's Friday. There's lots of other things that needs to go ahead with the track, broadcasting, all these things. People are still in school. I don't think it's a big deal. And it's the same for everyone. If there's a red flag for all the cars, there's a red flag for all the cars. So no one's going to get an advantage. And I think we've seen this year because of the less time in practice that 
there's a bit more unknowns in the race and in qualifying and some surprises if you miss some time, you know. Um, so I actually like that aspect. But just to talk about turn three, um, as you mentioned, I think Alonso was the first one to nail the ideal line, as I heard, on the outside line, the top line there. And uh, yeah, it's so weird to see because it does not seem intuitive. But because of the banking, of course, you know, you can carry so much more speed and you can kind of like v-line it in uh and then kind of slingshot yourself out of it and i would love to see more banked corners but in f1 i think this it was made perfect sense. it made it, sense that he was the one simply yeah. because just like he's been to indy yes you know no, absolutely it, it, exactly so he has that experience and you can see now if we had more banked corners in f1 yeah sure it's not going to give you a great overtaking opportunity as in it's not going to be a braking zone but you can have more cars following around, uh, taking different lines. And I thought that was so interesting to see. Um, the opening lap, even though we're not going to discuss the race yet, but yeah. the opening lap, just seeing that so chaotic. many cars <laughs> pile out. And it was chaotic. It was safe. You know, there were yeah, a couple yeah. of wiggles. There were a bit of touches. But seeing so many cars just hurdle, hurdle down turn three and them being side by side almost, it was yeah. it was just, yeah. we haven't seen that. Yeah, that angle, Formula One, so. uh, when they first came through turn three, was a bit high up, and it just looked like cars coming in from the side, cars coming straight from you, cars doing like uh, 180 in the background because they're on the banked corner. Like, it was absolutely amazing. And I have to admit, during the race, when they were following a car around the track, like not on board, but like, you know, with the cameras, I got dizzy because like, it was going from left to right, left to right, and that's mm -hmm. something to do with the direction as well, because it's a bit annoying how they keep zooming in so much and you don't see much of the track. Uh, so that was insane. Just to get an idea of how, like, how tough this track is, you know, there's no real place to rest except for the, back, or the, the main straight. Which is not really a main straight. It's not kilometers and kilometers no. long like we would have in Mexico or um, or Malaysia, for True. example, or, or China. Yeah, but and turn um, one as well. Speaking speaking of of the track and and the the challenging nature of it, I just want to grab um, Carlos Sainz's quote from free practice sessions. So I think in FP two uh, he he spun, and uh, in his words he said, "I felt like I deserved to crash." to be 20 centimeters offline because this is how a circuit should be. So it is old school. It is yeah. unforgiving. And one thing we, the term that we haven't heard of this weekend was track limits. There were no track wow. limits in violation simply because forgot until you just there is it. no, there is no advantage to be gained yep. by running wide simply because if you run wide, you're in the wall or the gravel. Yeah. Or the and curbs are like, absolutely gonna destroy the car you know and yeah it made sense. so this is how it should be we shouldn't I have agree. silly penalties of of lap times being taken away because you know just a quarter of an inch of their tire was on the curb or just outside no you solve this problem by eliminating runoff which is the case here yes we had a lot of red flags and that was simply because they're trying to, to push the limit to find the limit and this is what racing should be yeah um it's a it's a real driver's circuit you know uh in the words of daniel ricardo especially in qualifying low fuel it takes big cojones or big yeah i think he used cojones or whatever it is but uh not to be overly stereotypical or sexist but you do you know the driver can make the difference yes. on this this circuit and i think later on i will touch on it it will be reflected in the results ultimately yep so the track it is it is a challenge and it's a i think it's just a yeah again a wonderful addition to the calendar 
something to look forward to every year like we do with with iconic tracks yep no i just wish the cars were a little bit smaller perhaps uh for this track uh because otherwise it, it just makes it a little bit harder to overtake and you know people were scared there weren't, weren't going to be that many overtaking opportunities but i think we had it a wasn't a procession huh it wasn't a procession at no, all, no 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 you know? absolutely not and so what... I'm, I'm i was so glad to see that because yeah. again it was the unknown no one knew Historically, it was always very difficult to overtake at Zandvoort. So. Yeah, no, exactly. So we did we did see some good overtakes, and I think turn one is a really good spot. We saw so many overtakes on the outside, and it was quicker. And Jensen <laughs> Button even said, like, you wouldn't think to defend that line as a driver because it just seems slower. But it made sense when you saw the cars take that line, you know. And I think mm-hmm. this is, like you said, a track that really you can make a difference as a driver. Like, the more you're willing to risk and the more you can control the car on the edge you know, because you have so many quick direction changes and so many places where you, you just got to trust the car has downforce and will grip, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think because it's a, what you there again, um, as you said, these cars are just a bit too wide. Um, what you see a lot a bit too uh, long, uh, to be honest, that as well, not but so then much the width with width wise. It's just, you know, having that wiggle room of space in order to do, you know, overtakes in, in especially to turn one different lines so it's if you are the car behind attacker in formula one we've seen a lot of going around the outside and hoping that the car in front leaves enough room you wouldn't as you say defend the outside line because that would be slower which we see in other especially touring cars the switchback so even if they started wide um if the the outside line is then defended by the person in front the person behind can then switch back because the run up to then turn two, they would have the inside line. So multiple lines through there as well, multiple possibilities, which in F1 we haven't seen yet, simply because I think, you know, it is a bit too wide and too narrow for these uh, Formula One cars. Yeah, possibly. But I think if the cars just need a tiny adjustment and then you could have this as one of the most yeah, epic races on the calendar, to be honest. Yeah, so that was uh, practice sessions. We had red flags um, come qualifying and qualifying what well, is massively important ar- around here. We would liken it to, to Hungary or uh, Monaco. Um, so everyone was looking forward to the session, knowing what a challenge this track is, knowing when the fuel comes down, it is, you know, the ultimate challenge. And every driver absolutely loved it uh traffic issues of course short track 20 cars so we did have uh incidents and mishaps in qualifying where um people missed you know the flag or blocking and such which tends to occur uh at short tracks uh austria being another example it tends to occur within long tracks as well they always manage to find well rather every team wants to find that perfect patch uh on the track to have enough space and if there's one patch there's 10 teams looking at that same patch and trying to send the drivers out into it so you're bound to have traffic issues no matter where you are here it was amplified because of the 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 short track but uh yeah um Sergio Perez let's start with him um I didn't even see what happened that just yeah I think you know, going because they didn't. Um, so we did see cars backing up, trying to create space for themselves in the last corner 
or the second to last corner before the straight. But you also saw cars leaving the pit lane already starting to stack up and try to create space there. So you have and that two bottlenecks. Yeah, but that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, like, true, but if, if you're not doing it at the last corner, then you can time it there. But we had two bottlenecks on a very short track. So yeah. um, I think what ended up happening, firstly, of course, his lap wasn't perfect. But secondly, I, th I don't think he made uh, the flag. I see. Um, so he couldn't do a, a proper qualifying lap in Q1 simply because he didn't make the flag. But his lap wasn't good enough anyways, you know, no. so... That was number one. Uh, he still has a massive deficit. I would say now we have 13 races in. Um, Alex Albon's qualifying times are pretty much the same as Sergio Perez's qualifying but times. But his race pace is massively deficit. different. And that is the main difference yes. between the two. Yeah. Whereas uh, when Sergio Perez starts from the back, yes, he can. He is able to make up some places. Um but then you just get frustrated saying, man, if you only just qualified P9 or P10, or rather P8, P6, then you could truly get into that mix. Yeah. But, but he's uh, he's able to do amazing things, starting from the pit lane, starting from the back, and then do damage limitation. But in this championship, man, every point counts. Yeah, I think, and, but this, uh, was, this was more on Red Bull as well. Like, if I have to just be completely honest, because... That as well. We saw I the, mean, we for sure. We saw the backing up at the exit of the pit lane which I think made, makes so much more sense. Like, you would rather send the cars out one by one, you know. Uh, maybe not as it was back in the day when you had, like, one lap qualifying, but I think that made sense. But the one thing that, that everyone was expecting, but was even more exaggerated when it actually happened, was the track evolution. Because of the track being located near the sand dunes, you know, every day it's gonna be, there's going to be sand on the track before you start, but... We saw after just like five minutes, 10 minutes, the, the lap times coming down so quickly and it caught a lot of teams out. I think also Norris uh, would have had a better result if they weren't caught up, caught out by that. And, you know, the two Williamses having a great qualifying because they actually dared to, to risk something. And this time they actually might have just risked a bit too much. Uh, we talked about it last episode, but I think I think that was really interesting how they were pushing for it and they could actually gain something from it, you know. Yeah, uh, I agree. There's also, you know, Red Bull's fault for putting him into, um, or rather him not making the flag. Um, at the same time, you would expect that his banker lap, his first lap, should be enough in that car to already yes, go through to the next that's session. That's true. Uh, but um, yeah, the standouts for me in, in qualifying, uh, how uh, the Q2, when the Mercedes went on the no, they started Q1 on the medium tire, which I found a bit odd. Yeah. You know, because uh, it it's, didn't really translate into any race strategy. It's not like they were going to start the company on that tire anyways. So the fact that they essentially wasted a pair? No, they or... didn't waste it. They made it race ready, I think, in the sense that they so went they scrubbed out. it. They kind of went out to scrub it and then they would still have fresh mediums to use, you know, but then instead of going out and using a set of soft tires that might even be even handier if they need to set an extra lap in Q3 or whatever you have you, they just decided to to do that lap on the medium and I think that makes sense. Yep, standouts uh Antonio Giovinazzi. Yeah. Where did that come from? P7. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was just, you know, he was uh, on it. But, but he was one of the drivers that hadn't driven here before, interestingly enough. It's, that's true. 
Uh, Antonio Giovinazzi qualifying in seventh. Uh, his teammate for this race being uh, Robert Kubica. Yep. Because Kimi Raikkonen test positive uh, positive for COVID. Yeah. So he's um, not going to complete a third of all Grand Prix ever held, because if he had done, if he had finished all the races this year, he would just by one race have completed a third of every F1 race that was ever held. But that's not going to happen now. That is a very interesting and very nerdy fact. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, let's. Uh, I think uh, Kubica only doing FP3 and then qualifying. I think uh, he did fantastically yeah, well. Yeah, good effort. Uh, very well. Um, but yeah, well, it was a good qualifying result from Giovinazzi. Um, making Q3, but also not uh, not being last in that session. The best uh, result Sauber has had in the turbo hybrid era uh, in qualifying. Um, which is crazy because they've had years with better cars. Uh, so yeah. So there's only two people, two drivers that manages managed to go sub one minute nine seconds, uh, Max Verstappen and, and Lewis Hamilton. And how much do you think each of them pushed? I think Verstappen didn't push. If I have to be completely honest, like his last lap, um, he made a couple of mistakes. I saw it on board. I saw the DRS not activating on the lap. And I heard the double shift that happened as well. So I was just thinking, okay, so he's just going to, he's turned it up uh, car performance wise, but he's made some mistakes. And then just about he got pole position because of those mistakes. And Lewis was pushing it. Um, but basically those two were on a completely different level the whole weekend. Their teammates never got close. No other driver ever got close to them. And I think this is what made the race so fascinating as well, because this is the two, the championship um, leaders, the battle for the championship. Also, we see it on track and we see how small of a margin is. Verstappen pulled away great in the beginning, but, you know, he wasn't making a massive gap. Lewis was keeping it honest and Mercedes was doing everything they could with the strategy. Um, so, yeah. And, and again, it was Bottas was just not really anywhere to be seen. He was just playing the part of backing up Verstappen. Um, and he didn't even manage that. He could have done one more lap, I think. But um, yeah, no, those two were completely on a different level. I think we saw it before in Portimao. So they were those two were just going at it uh, to the point where tire life wouldn't last. The main difference between Portimao and Zandvoort with, uh, of course, being with Portimao, there was historical data. So they knew exactly which tires they could use the, and they could adjust the strategy accordingly. The race ultimately was decided on on strategy as well as some overtakes. But um, because there is no historical data and historical running, in fact, Mercedes couldn't commit to the hard tire simply because they weren't sure of that. And they were quite surprised that Red Bull chose the hard tire. But that's what we want to see, you know, yep. just the complete lack of knowledge and let them go racing and yep. let them on track, find out where the limits are True. and when the tires are going to, to, to hold up. Verstappen and used then, all three compounds and yeah and we haven't seen that exactly. exactly and that's written down like we have seen in this race all three tire compounds being used we had one stops we had two stops we had three stops we had fucking everything yeah that we haven't seen in formula one for such a long time yeah. and this is on a short track as well you know where you wouldn't think that would make sense like i was pretty sure it was just going to be one stop for everyone but no the two stopper made sense and you could push it and max was pushing it throughout the whole race with still a margin I, I'm sure still a margin yeah 
But uh, yeah, I think, you know, there is a rule that you have to do one pit stop and we have three compounds in a, in a race. And I think it's a good rule, but you just wonder what if they added one more stop? I'm not suggesting they should, but what kind of different strategies would we see? Would people be pushing more because you have to use all three compounds, for instance? And yeah, I think it could open up some more interesting things. But uh, yeah, I, I, it was good to see it, it happening in, uh, in practice. I think, uh, yeah, going back to what I said before, this is a real driver circuit. And in my opinion, this race, all the great drivers managed to bag a result at Danford. And especially when juxtaposed to what their teammates were doing. Yep. So as, as it were, the, the, the alpha dogs in the team, uh, mainly Verstappen, Hamilton, Gasly, Gasly Alonso, man. Wow. Norris, Leclerc, all finished significantly ahead of their teammates. And that is because, you know, this, this track... This circuit, it brings out the driver. The driver can make the difference. Yeah. And of course, you have different setups and different tires and uh, managing of such. But ultimately, it's visor down, challenge, you know, tackle the track. And especially with turn three, with, you know, from turn three all the way up until turn eight, it is just the driver makes the difference there. Yeah. And, you know, three tenths per lap makes all the difference in the world. So in qualifying, three tenths is still a lot between your teammates. But over a race, uh, you know, 72 laps, three tenths, you know, it, it, it ends up being quite a significant gap. And let's see, uh, let's, let's go through the teammates. Verstappen uh, won the race. Um, Sergio Perez ended up being... A lap down. See, was it a lap down? Well, everyone eight, except... Of course, starting yeah. from pit lane. Yeah. Uh, let's see, Lewis Hamilton, Valtteri Bottas finishing ahead, but the gap between that was significant. Yep. Uh, Pierre Gasly being completely alone. And massive, massive result. Yeah, we him. didn't see him all race. He was yeah. nowhere. He was just, he qualified I mean, fourth. He kept fourth. Tsunoda what he was, what was he was, was Max Verstappen last year when he was driving around in third. Yep. Um, the cars ahead were too far ahead. The cars behind were too far behind. He was on an island, and that's yep. what Gasly was this race. He's he's um, found he's found him his uh, himself in this car, it seems. Um, but also Tsunoda hasn't, and you know, yeah, yeah. Like we we look at Norris and Ricardo and see there's a big gap, usually, uh, but with Gasly and Tsunoda, it's like it's it's double that. It's it's really it's yeah. Which at the same time, a rookie against a seasoned race winner, like yeah, it, it would make sense. Here you he's have... not a seasoned driver, Gasly, in my opinion. He's still very much, you know, new. Um, he's had some ups and downs, for sure. And Tsunoda, is, it's his first year. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's too big of a gap, I think. Uh, it's we, You can't really defend Tsunoda. Um, there's no reason uh, other than his inexperience. So that's a bit of a shame. Fair enough. Uh, Gasly finishing fourth. Behind him, Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari. Behind him, Fernando Alonso. Yeah. Behind him, Sainz. Alonso Perez, back, Ocon, overtaking on the last Perez. lap, getting Sainz there. Um, no, I would say it, it didn't even... It started on the first lap. His true. opening lap. Yeah. Um, we saw what he can do in the sprint qualifying. Um, but that opening lap, he was the one to watch. You know, had that massive wiggle uh, just in front of Giovinazzi. But even before that, Contact taking, that, taking, that, taking that wide line... Uh, 
couple of laps later again teammates versus teammates and that's where that's where the driver comes in because Okono's behind asking the team let me buy uh I'm faster than Fernando Fernando goes I can go faster but I'm managing the tires yeah which if you look at the race distance the gap between Alonso and Ocon who were on similar strategies um they they qualified uh ninth and tenth so you know they were driving to their car's performance it's just that experience, that wildiness, but also that riskiness yep. that Alonso has just completely controlled the race. I uh, love that. He he took the risk on the first lap. He knew he could gain a lot of time, stay in front, and so many times it was about to go completely haywire, but he saved the car or he just in the last minute got a bit lucky or unlucky. And I don't then, know like, if you saw that moment of him before he overtook signs into turn three. On the start. So it wasn't, it wasn't shown. It wasn't shown during the race. But you can view some clips on it on, okay. on social media, on, on YouTube. Uh, he nearly lost it in turn three chasing signs. He's like, only luck cut me out of the wall. I was 10 centimeters from it. Wow. No, I, I'd love to see that. No, but yeah. my, my point was that, you know, him and Ocon, like you said, he, he was, Ocon might have been faster at that stage in the race, but Fernando was just, you know, saving tires. And look at the end of the race, like how big this just, you know, it's, it's, so the gap grows exponentially uh, throughout the race, right? Because, you know, he'd save tires and he can push more and Ocon couldn't. And that just shows like he's got the experienced head and now he's also gotten used to the car. And that too is like, a, that's a good combination. And, you know, he was fighting his way through the field and managed to get a good position that I don't think Alpine really uh, had the car for, to be honest. Yeah, in his own admission, it's the Saturdays that are still hurting him. Uh, where he's not 100%, I think comes Sunday, we know we can count on a, uh, not only a result, but just on a on, on a good drive from yeah. him. Uh, he tends to be a, one of the flavor makers of the weekend. Absolutely. Uh, as he was before. Yeah. So it's just about uh, him getting that confidence either in the car or the formula that uh, in qualifying, he can, he can do better than currently. I think best position at the moment is like seventh, eighth around that area sometimes not making Q3. Yeah. It's just if Alpine can qualify fifth next year or the reign of this year, fifth position, I would say safely bet. Yeah, I, I would go to the betting office and say, yeah, yeah. yeah. If he starts in fifth, he could be a, uh, not necessarily a shoe-in for the victory, but definitely in contention for some. True, true. Yeah, so he had, uh, yeah, again, um, out-driving that car. Beating a Ferrari, Carlos Sainz not having the best of weekends as well. He had an okay weekend, compared. I think. He just, yeah, just not uh, on the same pace as Leclerc. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe also overdriving it a little bit. But, um, yeah, no, I think they were they were the closest match teammates. Maybe outside of the, the Mercedes teammates, you know. And even then, it was a big gap, so. It was quite a large gap, but Ferrari doing very good uh, business in, in Zandvoort, collecting a lot of constructor points because Mercedes had, or rather McLaren had a disappointing weekend uh, in their fight for third place in yep. the Constructors' Championship. Uh, we mentioned Lando Norris just getting caught out in qualifying. Um, in practice, he was looking well, yep. but when qualifying started, he just wasn't there you know yeah. he wasn't able to hook it up yep and that has been his weakness sometimes you know because he's been really quick and then just at last minute he, he he lacks that kind of refinement but he's getting better and better so uh, yeah but but exactly he he had to fight his way through the race finished ahead of his teammate who started ahead of him 
started ahead of him. Yeah. Uh, the fact that he did so many laps on that medium tire. Yeah. Wow, I was I was blown away and I couldn't I thought it was going to be a bad strategy. I didn't really see him um making most of it, uh but he did. He absolutely did. He switched tires and then went on with business and started overtaking, you know. So the fact that of course he he started 13th and his teammates started 10th. So not that huge. You know, in my mind he didn't make Q3. There's a big gap, but still it is significant starting completely in the midfield. Yeah. Uh, and that forced him, well, he had the choice of tires, which ones to start for the race from, but they had no alternatives but to have an alternative strategy in order to salvage something because he's still in contention for third place in the championship. Yeah. Um, and in addition with the Constructors' Championship, uh, their fight with Ferrari, the fact that even in a difficult race, a difficult qualifying session, he still managed to finish ahead of his uh, teammate yes he was let by but the fact that you know he caught up uh because it wasn't an easy race for norris you know nope. it wasn't like he drove up to to ricardo on his back who started in p10 no he had quite uh quite an eventful race um but he just managed to keep the keep the medium tire alive long enough that he got himself back into contention ended up solving a Japo- uh, salvaging a point which at the end of qualifying I didn't think would have been possible for him. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it didn't look like they were going to get anywhere. And the first half of the race, it also seemed like that, you know, like he was on borrowed time on his old tires. But uh, it worked out. And yeah, I think McLaren as well, they could have focused more of the energy on Daniel, but they didn't. They focused on Norris. And I think that also paid off in the end. So yeah, the dynamic there at the team, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen next year. If Daniel is not on the pace from the first race, then it looks like it's going to be uh, Norris they're going to back. Which, uh, yeah, which uh, would make sense in, in my opinion. Absolutely. Of course, new, new car, new regulations next year, new chances for Ricardo. But I, I can say, yeah, they're in the hunt for the Constructors' Championship. Uh, Norris can still become third at the end of the season um it's it's everything to play for it so is. it's exciting it's yep. exciting to see that it is it is exciting everything everything about f1 this year is just so exciting <laughs> it's one of those <laughs> years i don't know it's uh it's it's good time to be an f1 fan so anyone else stood out at you during this race um i was mainly just focused at at Max and Lewis, to be honest. And, you know, it was a good race. Lots of things to follow strategy-wise in the race. And the track was amazing. Um, just seeing the cars uh, going through Sanford, the track was, yeah. It, 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 it seems un- unreal. They look almost too fast. Like, them going through, um, what is that quick right-hander, you know, at the top of the hill that they go Turn down. Turn seven. Turn seven. Seeing the cars there the first time, I was like, how do they even do that? Like, it's absolutely insane. Um, so yeah, I think uh, it's it's not flat. You know, there is a definite lift that you need to take yes. on on low. If someone fuel, told me it's flat, I then, would not believe them. Like it's impossible, yeah, yeah. physically impossible. How how can you tell me that corner? Well, is flat? we used to say that uh, about Orouge and Turn Eight at Istanbul. As yeah, well, I, until the the cars were made. Well, Orouge, uh, yeah, it definitely is flat. But then there's Pouhon. I still don't get. And turn eight yeah. in Turkey, I still don't get either how that could be flat out. Like, <laughs> it's just physically impossible for me. Yeah. So up until the time, 
perhaps even next year with uh, you know different ground effects for the cars different aero regs perhaps we're going to see it flat but during qualifying which is low fuel like there was a you know a slight lift it's like how short can you make that lift yeah but even more scarier was at the start of the race where everyone was just heavily fueled and it was like a definite lift yeah, but yeah. then again you saw people saying how short can i make this lift still make the corner with like the obvious additional weight um and still go through and that to me was more baffling than the the quality lap the quality yeah. lap of course must be absolutely scary uh it is scary it was hair raising to see like a proper qualify and i agree with you um max didn't push 100 percent during no. quality no and that's also something that also creeps in the back of my head saying or can we see the fastest car doing the perfect lap and what would that look like like how much faster would it be from ultimately the fastest time in, in qualifying being set but um they didn't have to I think the pace advantage that they had throughout the weekend didn't have to play their, their yeah, ace exactly. card. Exactly. I mean, Joker, you know? Max could have gone three tenths quicker, maybe half a second if he was like absolutely, you know, on it. I don't think quicker than that. Um, but let's not kid ourselves. Like before this weekend, who did I think was going to win? Max. I like. I don't know. They, it, it, it just seemed obvious. It's a track made for him, you know, driver-wise. Mm -hmm. The Red Bull as well is suited for this track. And even if Max is not the, you know, the crowd pleaser um, in his way, he, you know, he speaks to the crowd. He didn't, he barely acknowledged them, which was crazy. I thought he would say something in Dutch on the radio when he won or in the interviews. But no, it was almost, he was like, yeah, it's great to win my home Grand Prix. And then he just started talking about the race. And yeah, but because, I don't know, the crowd was carrying him the whole way. And he was just, you know, he was, yeah, he was, I, I, I don't know it's what to say. It's a man on a mission. Yeah. It's a man on a mission. Yeah, it just and we've seen that since it it seemed. I mean, his um, of course we only see his media appearances of how what he talks about, uh, his demeanor and such. Mm -hmm. From the beginning of the season, he had one mission, especially when it became clear in Bahrain testing that he could be in for a shout. Um, he's 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 taken on the strategy. He's applying that, and it didn't matter to him what the location was you know he still has that same mission that he has to carry out yep and i think it it, it's i think he's taking maybe a leaf out of rosberg's playbook you know 2016 he went to that extremes i mean it's also in the character of max you just be very but that's what i mean nonchalant it's and cool and he doesn't get emotional he doesn't yeah. let his emotion get away with him like maybe anger but all drivers have that right but that's the only thing you've not seen him being like it goes with the maturity as well. Yeah. That's one one word that you know Christian Horner keeps on saying. But yeah, the realization that there is a world championship on the line just clicked everything into place. Yeah. You know, everything that he needs to do, he's found his groove, he's found his his method. And um yeah, we'll see if it pays off at the end of the at the end of the season. I mean, he he looks the most champion like champion that i've ever seen going into every race this this whole season if he doesn't win it it's because lewis and mercedes have done something crazy as well uh but yeah he he has everything to win and he's putting everything in it and it seems like he's a seasoned veteran you know that's still at the top of his game um but he's still so young so 
yeah, anyways, I cannot uh, I cannot wait until next year uh, to see this race again. I do Thank think if we could um, September time, it's it's it was end of August, beginning of September time, which can still be nice at the beach. I think uh, what would make this race even more insane would be some proper heat into it, so the crowd, you know, would you know consume more beer it should fall on june you know before going but to canada also, exactly kind and of. as well you know the um, the heat would also get the tires into play yeah. so high deck i think high deck race exciting track it, it could even throw even more fireworks into the race i agree uh, i think it would make more sense to have the race just a bit earlier during the summer yeah uh next year but it'll probably be scheduled for earlier in the year anyway but shall we um, quickly talk about next race? Anything you want to talk about other than otherwise? I think uh, Monza, always an exciting place to go. Um, it will be good to see. Uh, like Interestingly, this race, uh, all of the Mercedes engine cars uh, used the, um, the engine that they used in Spa. There was no running in Spa, so they're still quite fresh. Uh, Sergio Perez being able to change his engine, take that penalty, but he was going to start from the back anyways. So it was a good time to change his penalty because they were already at the max. He's on his fourth engine now and he'll be fine until the, the end of the season. The only person that comes to mind that would be on the negative side would be Max Verstappen. Probably will be taking an engine penalty, uh, probably Russia or something yeah. like that. This is a very engine heavy track. And um, we don't know if it's going to hold up. Uh, I don't think Red Bull themselves uh, think that maximum result is possible. They're going into this weekend uh, damage limitation for all the components as well as championship. Yeah, I suppose. And it does make sense. Um, but I think it's going to be interesting in Monza is, you know, we're going to have the sprint race again. Yeah. By the way, the sprint that we're not allowed to call the sprint race was more of a race. Quack, quack was more the race than what we saw in Belgium and they called that a race anyway um, <laughs> but I think it's going to be interesting because Monza is one of the it's a lot one of the longer tracks but it's also the quickest track so the race is usually very short here sometimes an hour and 20 minutes uh, which is the absolute shortest uh, and you feel like it's a track where you want to see more things evolve over a longer period of time so I think the sprint is going to add a bit more to that make the Monza weekend feel a bit a bit longer and have a little bit more racing and I think there's going to be teams uh, that might want to risk something in the sprint so i think that'll be super interesting to watch absolutely so when that occurs or any last thoughts from you no what can i say it's been an amazing season and an amazing race <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah what a great race it was can't wait for the next one man yeah um monta when that occurs uh we shall be back mm -hmm. and in the meantime uh we are actually planning for a nice episode after Monza's race, so uh, a standalone episode, not so not just the review of the Monza race, something very special planned for you all. Yep. Um, thank you so much for your positive comments as well thank in you person, guys. and uh, don't forget to send us a voice message on Anchor should you want uh, us to answer your questions or have your question featured. Uh, 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 wash your hands, guys. <laughs> And that went beautiful. Uh. Anyways, 
in the meantime keep washing those hands washing <laughs> goodbye now hands. bye bye <laughs> <laughs>